You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's to Web Radio. Welcome to Billion Dollar Ballers. Whatever you want to call Obviously on the morning of some terrible news today. So hope everyone has the president and first lady in their prayers. And all we can do is hope that they recover quickly and hopefully don't fall too ill. But in the meantime, uh, while we're all praying, uh, we can move on to some sports news for today's show. Hopefully take your mind off some of the more somber topics around the country right now. Um, we're going to start the show today by talking some NFL football. Got some, again, not, not the best news, but stuff that certainly needs to be covered and definitely relevant to this show. Um, and if you were watching the Titans-Vikings game last week, last Sunday, there's something you probably missed, and that was that following the game, the testing of the Titans and Vikings players revealed that a number of Titans players actually had coronavirus uh, during the time of that game. Now, thankfully, since that time, they have tested all of the Vikings players and all of the Titans players. Now, uh, thankfully, none of the Vikings players tested positive for coronavirus, but the Titans have had now 12 positive tests this week, uh, six players and six other team employees um, which included an additional two positive tests yesterday morning. Uh, this led the NFL to postpone the game until a later date. Uh, initially, they wanted to play the game on Monday or Tuesday, but uh, Thursday's results made that impossible. Uh, and I really wanted to break down exactly what this means for the NFL season, what's going to happen here, how's the NFL going to proceed. And, and this is really something that I've been predicting from – almost the beginning of, uh, of the NFL season and the, the beginning of, uh, of really COVID when they said that they were going to bring back the NFL season. We've seen what's happened with uh, the MLB as, as they've had many, many games shut down. Um, now, obviously, the MLB is a totally different sport. They have a 62-game season in this shortened season right now. Uh, they have the ability to just cancel – five, ten games at a time, reshuffle them later in the season. They can do double headers. Obviously, you're not playing multiple NFL games in one night, so it's a totally different animal, uh, and obviously a different animal than the NBA, where you have the whole bubble environment. Same thing with UFC, NHL, MLS. Uh, the bubble environment simply isn't possible for NFL football. The teams are too big. Um, and it was really unfortunate to see that this would happen, but it was something that I said was going to happen, um, something that was predictable. I mean, if you just compare it to college football, 20 college football games have been scrapped or postponed so far, uh, while countless others have been affected by player absences due to COVID-19. Um, and again, it's something that's been talked about a lot by myself and NFL executives I don't think that you can say that it wasn't expected, but it's certainly something that nobody is happy to see. A um, couple questions on people's mind. Is it possible that the NFL will contain the virus from spreading and affecting more games? And if not, if that does happen, uh, what, what happens to the season if more games are canceled or suspended? Um, well, a major factor here, as is always the case in sports, is money. A lot of money is at stake for the league and its partners. TV networks, including ESPN, Fox, NBC, and CBS, collectively pay the NFL 
nearly $6 billion annually for the rights to televised games. It's one of the reasons that the NFL, as opposed to the NHL, can actually have a full season uh, without fans because they have so much TV revenue. Um, so it's definitely something that can affect these TV partners. But there are also implications for you, the consumers, the fans, because the cost of sports telecast factors into monthly cable bills. Um, so a lot of questions to be answered, and let's dive right in. Um, first question we'll look at, is it possible the NFL may have to shorten the season? Now, at this point, the outbreak is limited. The league is trying to reschedule the Titans game within a few days. However, with, with, uh, with everything that's going on, if down the road the league does, does have to make the difficult decision to cancel entire weeks of play, it does have some plans in place. Its schedule already has flexibility to ensure that critical divisional and conference games get played, uh, and, and it's also possible to extend the season a bit longer than usual, usual. A Super Bowl in April is, after all, better than no Super Bowl. Um, another option uh, is shortening the season. Now, what happens to the fees for the TV networks uh, if the season is shortened? Now, a former NFL official said if more than two weeks' worth of games are canceled, the NFL would technically incur a penalty. They'd owe millions of dollars in refunds to media partners. But that scenario is unlikely. Uh, sports rights experts say the league and TV partners probably would come to an agreement, some economic solution in negotiations over the next round of deals. Um, so, again, just some way to protect against this happening in the future. Nobody knew that coronavirus would happen. Nobody understood how this could affect sports. And it really is a testament to the league that they're able to come back at all. Um, so it stands to reason they could work something out with these TV networks so that they both can make money. Um, ESPN's Monday Night Football deal does expire after next season. Uh, well, Fox's Sunday afternoon and Thursday packages, CBS's Sunday late slate, and NBC's Sunday night deal are all up in 2022. We did talk a little bit about these new deals next year or last week. seems that next year they'll be garnering a little bit higher fees, getting a little more money. The NFL is doing very well after all. Um, so the league is looking to lock in long-term contracts sooner rather than later, uh, expecting deals to get wrapped up either late this season or shortly following the season. Um, now, Doomsday scenario everyone has on their minds. What if the season is canceled? Uh, and as everyone knows, I'm an optimist, so I don't want to get into that. We're a long way from that. It's a limited outbreak at this point. Uh, we've seen many other sports be able to finish a season, even the MLB, with all of their problems from negotiating their collective bargaining agreement all the way through figuring out how they're going to handle the cancellation of many of their games. Some teams had like 10 games postponed and they only played a 62-game season. So we're not at a doomsday scenario yet. There's no need to panic. Um, but if the season were canceled outright, the NFL and its TV partners could just extend their current media right deals for another season. So, I mean, while the owners would lose a lot of money, it certainly wouldn't be good for anyone involved in the league or any of the league's fans. Um, there is always that possibility. Um now, how much revenue, advertising revenue, exactly is at stake? And the answer is insane amounts. So the NFL in 2019 had $3.57 billion of regular season advertising revenue, including pre- and post-game spending, 
Uh, now, that is according to Kantar Media, which is a firm that tracks ad spending. Um, they also said that the playoff and Super Bowl added another $1.37 billion in ad revenue. And that ad revenue is actually likely to grow for this playoff and this postseason um, simply because, I mean, we have more eyeballs than ever before. Everyone's sports starved, and the NFL has been able to stay out of the woods a little bit more than the NBA on a lot of the political issues which have been causing fans to kind of be wary of the NBA. Um, I know the NFL was the one who started it all with the Kaepernick kneeling situation, but they've been able to stay out of the woods a little bit recently. So uh, hopefully they'll be able to finish the season, collect all that advertising revenue, because clearly it's a very large amount of money. Um, Now, the question a lot of you are probably thinking of, if games are canceled, will you be seeing a refund on your cable bill? Well, if baseball, hockey, and basketball are any indication, don't hold your breath. Um, Several providers have said they would like to issue rebates or credits to customers uh, if they receive refunds from sports channels, but they're not going to receive refunds from sports channels, and you're not going to get any of your money back. Uh, Unfortunately, it's just... The way the business operates, there's no contingency plans put in saying they have to give you your money back. And we all know these TV stations don't want to give you their money if they don't have to. So I would not count on any refund if it turns out you can't watch certain NFL games. Um, With that being said, that's going to conclude our coverage of the NFL today. A quick preview of our next segment. We're going to talk a little more football, but maybe not what you're thinking. We're going to talk the Spring League the XFL, and talk about why the NFL really needs a viable uh, second league or developmental league of sorts. An interesting topic that doesn't necessarily get the coverage that many other sports do for their minor leagues. So we'll explain why and how it could help the league. Uh, We're also going to move forward and talk a little bit about Major League Soccer. Now, Major League Soccer is something I've talked about a little bit on this show, but I'm going to really talk about how the expansion of Major League Soccer is eminent, how Major League Soccer is likely to surpass the NHL soon as a major sport in America. And uh, while this may seem crazy, uh, if the NBA continues to be bogged down with political uh, political influences and, uh, and, and a, really a political agenda in many ways, and that could lead Major League Soccer all the way up to the number two spot behind football. I know it sounds crazy now, but we'll see in 2030 how it all turns out. Uh, and lastly, uh, I think I'll save the last topic as a surprise. The last topic's a really fun one, guys, and it directly relates to a lot of you sports fans. And um, I won't give you the specific thing we're going to talk about, but it does talk about how Sports leagues and sports organizations leverage your pocketbook to make their sports happen in a way you might not be thinking about. Um, So with that being said, a lot of great topics on the show today. Stick around. We're going to go to one quick short break and then get right back into it. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com.
Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Join me live every Tuesday at 1500 for the best in gun news, gun products, and gun politics. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. And welcome back to our second segment. Our second segment that's going to stick on football, but again, talk a little bit about some alternative leagues and the need for the NFL to implement a better developmental league. Not only for the quality of play, um, the opportunity for a lot of younger players, but also a chance to increase their revenue streams. Um, now, if you were paying attention over the last 24 hours, you may have noticed that Fox Sports reached an agreement with the Spring League. Now, I wouldn't blame you if you don't know what the Spring League is, but I'll explain it in just a moment here. Um, but Fox Sports has reached a multi-year agreement to televise this the Spring League, it's called, along with the option to acquire a minority stake in the league. Now, the Spring League will begin its fall season on October 27th, with six teams competing in a 12-game format over four weeks in San Antonio, Texas. Fox Sports 1 will air games on Tuesday and Wednesday. The league had previously been used by the XFL and the AAF, if you remember that, the Alliance of American Football, um, before they started playing. Now, both of those leagues ceased operations midway through their first season. The XFL, though, was, was recently acquired by a group led by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, um, they did announce hopes of resuming play in 2022. And the reason I bring up the Spring League and its relation to the XFL and the AAF is that the Spring League is, is a league that really does show promise as being a developmental league for the NFL. Um, the Spring League CEO, Brian Wood, said in a statement that they're conducting a fall season in order to give more playing and development opportunities due to reductions in rosters during NFL training camps and the CFL canceling its season. It is truly the closest thing we have to a developmental league for the NFL. And, and if you don't believe that, I have a couple statistics that can back that up. Um, this is the fourth season for the Spring League, so it clearly is outperforming the AAF and the NFL, um, which, uh, the XFL, pardon me, which have both struggled and gone out of business, although the XFL is being revived. Uh, the league also has had over 100 of its players signed to NFL contracts and 65 to CFL deals, with the most famous alum being 2012 Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Manziel, who played two seasons for the Cleveland Browns. Um, now I say that Johnny Manziel is the headline. Johnny Manziel is the quote-unquote most famous player. I wouldn't call him the best player to come out of the league, but he is the most famous player. Um... With that being said, hopefully the Spring League does well. I would love if Fox Sports did acquire a stake in the league. I mean, it, it spells nothing but good things to have a quality developmental league for the NFL. Uh, because as of now, I would say that the main developmental league for the NFL is, is actually the CFL. 
Um, and the CFL, it, it's a wonderful league. Um, it does great things to develop a lot of talent. Cameron Wake being one of the best players to come from the CFL to the NFL. But it's not a true developmental league. Uh, the CFL truly wishes that it could rival the NFL. Um, and unfortunately, it has one major problem. Um, if Canada had another 50 million people, it could rival the NFL. Um, but there's simply a population problem and a market size problem. Canada doesn't have the amount of eyeballs um, to demand the high television contracts that the NFL does. And as we talked about in the previous segment, that's where the bulk of the NFL's money comes from. They're obviously losing tons of money without having fans in stadiums, but it's still viable for them to have a season with no fans because of the insane amount of money they make from television contracts, which, again, they can demand because of the amount of people that are watching their platform. Um, so getting back to the developmental league idea, the CFL is a decent start. Um, it seems like something that could work. It, it, it is very popular. They do pay their players a fair amount of money. But unfortunately, the large market size just is not there. Um, I'll give you uh, one quick statistic that I stumbled upon um, that I definitely think is interesting um, in assessing the size of the league, and that is that the, uh, the NFL and CFL, believe it or not, both do have a football video game. They're both large enough uh, that people wanted to play with their favorite players in a video game. But to put in perspective the size of the league, the annual budget for Madden, which is the NFL's yearly video game, is an eight-figure budget. The annual budget for Maximum Football, um, which is the CFL's uh, video game, is a six-figure budget. So we can see the difference here. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars versus tens of millions of dollars. Uh, so it's obviously a very different, very different animal. But if the NFL were able um, to secure the Spring League as a true developmental league, then not only would they get better talent and more players um, and really expand on their brand a lot, they'd be able to make much more revenue. Um, and all you have to look at is the G League. So the G League is the developmental league uh, for the NFL. It's called the G League because it's sponsored by Gatorade. Very confusing for longtime fans, but the G League is the NBA's developmental league. Um, now, it, it's, it's something that includes a variety of ways uh, that teams can be operated. You have teams owned by NBA teams, teams owned independently. Um, but the bottom line is that the G League has really become an amazing place for NBA talent to develop. And at first, it wasn't really a full-time job for these players. It wasn't a great way for players to make money, but the NBA has instituted a long-anticipated salary increase in the G League. Uh, they did announce that on April 15th, um, and effective this season, um, which unfortunately was canceled due to COVID, uh, players who signed G League contracts were set to earn $35,000 or $7,000 a month, in addition to free housing and insurance benefits over the course of the league's five-month regular five month regular season. Uh, previously, players earned either $26,000 or $19,000, and 
and this increase did represent a pay raise of 35% or 84%, depending on the player's classification. Um, so as you can see there, the NBA is really trying to funnel a lot more money into the G League, and it provides an alternative for a lot of players. We're seeing high school players pass up on college now to go to the G League. Uh, we've, we're seeing college players who aren't prepared to go to the NBA but really want to leave college, they're at a different level, go to that intermediate stage in the G League, and it's to the point now where you have such good talent in the G League that it's a viable league on its own. I mean, personally, I have sat down and watched G League games. They're exciting. Uh, we've had G League players in the NBA dunk contest. Um, we've seen incredible things out of the G League. And all the while, it's so viable now that it's actually making the NFL millions and millions of dollars. Um, to the point that we're now seeing players be able to sign contracts in the G League and the NBA at the same time. Uh, the 2017-18 season was the NBA's first to feature two-way contracts. 83 players signed such deals, while a record 50 players on G League contracts received NBA call-ups. Um, so the talent's growing. There's clearly money there with deals that have now been able to reach close to $100,000 in the league. Uh, and it just shows that this is a model that the NFL should follow. It's a model that can not only develop talent, but bring them a lot more revenue and potentially make up for some of the money that they're losing this year by not having fans in their stadiums, uh, by not doing a lot of the things that they normally would be doing. And as we've seen, they've been doing these tarp ads on the seats. Well, a report recently came out that the, the, uh, the businesses that have advertised on these tarps are extremely unhappy because they don't feel like they're getting their money back. And if you're watching the TV broadcasts of these NFL games, they're really not getting a lot of show. I mean, they're focusing on the field because, let's be honest, who wants to look at an empty stadium? So the tarp ads aren't getting coverage. The NBA is losing money. Uh, and this could be a great way to not only recoup the money, but to increase the talent level in the league. Um, so, again, not something we touch on very often in the minor leagues, but something that I feel like we should talk about a little more often. Now, I do want to quickly, before this segment is over, delve into the XFL a little bit. As I mentioned earlier in this segment, Dwayne The Rock Johnson did purchase the XFL, um, and he just revealed when the league will make its return. So less than two months after purchasing the league, he announced that the league will be making its return in the spring of 2022, which means you now have just 18 months to decide which team you want to cheer for. Uh, he made the announcement saying, quote, as owners, we're proud to champion our XFL players, coaches, cities, and fans into an electrifying 2022 season. I'm so inspired to put in the work because football always represented an opportunity to me, opportunity to take care of my family, and even though my dreams of playing pro football never came true, I am hungry, humble, and no one will outwork us. Seems like all uh, all good news. The Rock definitely seems like he'll be more hands-on than the previous owner, Vince McMahon, was. If you are looking to learn more about the XFL, The Rock did just tweet a trailer, a trailer out for the new season in 2022. I think it may, be, may just be successful. Like I said, there's a hole in the market right now for a developmental league for the NFL. 
And the XFL shows a lot of promise, and if anyone can do it, it certainly is The Rock. So looking forward to some XFL football, uh, the Spring League, and who knows, maybe more to come. Um, with that being said, um, that concludes our coverage of football today. We're going to move on to the other football, the European football after this, talking a little bit about Major League Soccer. Um, and just in a preview for next segment, I will tell you that Major League Soccer was just recognized as the Sports League of the Year uh, during the 2020 business, Sports Business Awards. This is one of the most prestigious honors in the sports industry, and if you follow sports business as closely as I do, um, it's a great sign for a league. Previous winners have gone on to have massive revenue increases, larger fan bases, expansion, new teams, all the like. So if you're looking forward to hearing about some soccer news, stick around. We'll be right back after another short break. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. McAllister's Auto Transport is a privately held company celebrating our 75th anniversary this November, specializing in enclosed-only transportation to the OEM, personal snowbird market, and our favorite market of all is the collector market. Give us a call at 800-748-3160, or you can reach us on the web at McAllister's.com, and that's M-C-C-O-L-L-I-S-T-E-R-S.com. Large enough to handle all of your transportation needs, small enough to provide you the old town, old school service that you come to expect when you're moving your baby. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers to some coverage of Major League Soccer. Again, Major League Soccer was just recognized as the Sports League of the Year during the 2020 Business Awards. Um, the league also won the award in 2018 and 20, or pardon me, 2008 and 2016. Uh, they claimed this year's honor ahead of the Atlantic Coast Conference National Football League and Women's National Basketball Association, who were the other finalists for the award. The MLS has actually expanded more than any other global sports league over the last decade, and that continued during 2019, with more fans consuming MLS than ever before. The league announced new expansion teams, bringing the total number of clubs to 30, all while the valua valuation of existing MLS clubs has continued to rise exponentially to record highs. 
Additional major investments were also made in players, both homegrown and international talents, state-of-the-art soccer stadiums, and world-class training facilities. Commissioner Don Garber was also one of the finalists for Sports Executive of the Year, alongside four other nominees, including NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, renowned baseball agent Scott Boris, Roger Penske of Penske Entertainment Corp., and the winner, ESPN President Jimmy Pitaro. Um, now, ML League Soccer has, or Major League Soccer has a 25-year plan, but it needs to secure huge media deals first. Um, they're celebrating their 25th year this year, as the regular season has concluded now. MLS Commissioner Don Garber said Wednesday that the league needs a better media rights package after its current deal, which expires in 2022, to continue its growth. Um, this year has been a celebration for the league. Expanding up to 30 teams has been incredible. Um, and some of the new teams include some heavy hitters in the sports world. Inter-Miami CF, which is currently owned by international soccer legend David Beckham, had an incredible debut as did the Nashville Soccer Club, um, two major markets in Miami and Nashville that show that major cities want Major League Soccer in their venues, in their communities, and it's something that can have a huge positive impact economically and can have a huge positive impact uh, in bringing what it really is the world's most popular Sport, um, to more Americans. Um, if you ask me, it's something that's been a long time coming. Um, at a kickoff event for the season earlier this year, uh, the commissioner outlined the league's vision for its future, which not only included expansion, um, but also included preparing for seven new soccer stadiums, better technology infrastructure, and continued investment in youth academies in an effort to develop homegrown talent to enhance the quality of play on the field. Now, I actually played for one of these academies. Um, and for those of you who don't understand those systems, um, which I would not blame you, most people haven't heard about them, um, it's essentially a semi-pro system. So when I played, um, many of the teams, um, they had kids aged 13 to 18, and when you played for these teams, you'd be affiliated with a professional soccer team. Um, you'd get the nicest equipment, nicest cleats, nicest balls, nicest facilities. Um, and really, you were a, a semi-pro athlete. You'd live with the team, eat meals with the team. Um, there's typically only one to two in every U.S. state. So every game that wasn't a home game, you were hopping on a plane or a bus, traveling thousands of miles to play against the best competition. Um, they try to teach kids early on, young soccer players, what it's like to be a professional. Um, so with more investment in these youth academies, we can expect to see not only the quality in the MLS grow, um, but hopefully the MLS can start supplying talent to Europe and, and other leagues um, around the world. Um, because as of now, um, with the way that the MLS does a draft and the way they do trades and salary caps, it's really difficult for the MLS to compete when they operate on a completely different platform than World Soccer, who has, of course, no salary caps similar to baseball, and an open transfer fee uh, where you can just pay to have players switch teams. 
So um, I'd love to see the MLS join the rest of the world when it comes to professional soccer. Um, now, the key to making these areas of focus a reality over the next 25 years depends on the money, as is normally the case in sports. There is a plan to increase revenue, and it's a simple plan, secure multiple and lucrative media deals. The MLS believes the revenue from future rights packages will help sustain its growth as it aims to become a significant player in the U.S. pro sports market. Uh, they need more investment in players, more in infrastructure, uh, in marketing and content and fan development. Um, and the last piece for all of that to happen is the media. Now let's take a look at the current rights packages, um, which are currently housed on ESPN and Fox, valued at $600 million for eight years. And Univision, for $120 million, uh, generates roughly $90 million per season for the MLS and runs through 2022. Now, according to the commissioner, he says that this MLS package is upside down compared to all other leagues. The NFL does see roughly $7 billion generated from rights packages and the NBA $2.6 billion. Now the question is, will the MLS have the leverage to attract lucrative media packages for 2022 and beyond? Uh, in discussions with media executives about the MLS rights, the thinking is that the league is applying to rights holders. Uh, though its TV ratings still lag when you compare it to the NFL and NBA, uh, they are doing extremely well when compared to the NHL. Um, experts suggest the challenge for the MLS will be developing a national audience instead of focusing on local markets. <laughs> um, however, if we take a look at this, this is something that I think is to the benefit of the league. Now, I've been critical of Major League Lacrosse in the past because they tried to jump straight to the national appeal level. But in, in my experience, I believe that if you first get local appeal, you get the local fans dialed in, the local fans believing in your sport, um, then you can attack a national appeal uh, with a little more trust that fans have a reason to continue watching. I mean, uh, when you identify with a home team, um, you have a reason to continue watching. Just take me and my Detroit Lions for an example. The Lions have never been good. The Lions may never be good, but I will always be a Lions fan. I can't explain why, but it's my hometown team. If you can keep eyeballs on your sport, regardless of the quality of play, you have a ticket to success, and I believe that's what the MLS has. So hopefully um, they can leverage this level of fandom to increase their revenue from TV contracts. The issue is how do you increase the broadcast rights? Uh, the only way that it's going to happen is if rights holders, rights holders see an increase in audience, and it's here. Audience growth is happening. Um, the MLS, of course, still needs to improve. By, by all facts and figures, it is still a young league. Um, but the way it can accomplish this is through better promotion and marketing of its players. Bringing in major players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Wayne Rooney, Chicharito, and David Beckham as an owner is a great way to start this process. Uh, we'll see what happens as time goes on. But... Um, as of now, the league is doing very well. There's obviously no LeBron James or Tom Brady, 
Um, but we have big names that are coming up. Now, the key is the key is one of two things. You either need to have an international star in his prime in the MLS or an international star in his prime who starts in the MLS and goes somewhere else. Unfortunately, that's not been something that we've seen in the MLS to this point. What we've seen is international stars pass their prime, come to the MLS, and continue to play extremely well, albeit because the league is at a lower level. So again, we need to start competing with other international leagues. We need to get out of our draft system, our free agency concept, our trades, and join the rest of the world in international soccer. Uh, the MLS is banking on expansion uh, with the debuts of Miami and the Nashville clubs. Um, the 2021 season, including a new franchise in Austin and a recently announced Charlotte franchise purchased by hedge fund billionaire and Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper. Um, in 2022, two nor- more teams will join the league in Sacramento and St. Louis. Uh, the St. Louis franchise is owned by Carolyn Kindle Betts, the granddaughter of Ent- Enterprise Rent-A-Car founder Jack Taylor. Um, according to Forbes, the value of MLS teams has doubled over the last five years, with clubs going for more than $300 million. So 30 teams seems like a good number. Uh, the MLS has said they have considered 32 teams in the past, but as of now, they have no plans to expand beyond 30 teams. Uh, they hope to increase the value of the league's media rights thanks to new audiences that come with each expansion team. Popularity is rising. Um, and soon media outlets are going to need the MLS as live sports continue to be a demand for traditional linear media partners and news outlets that are starting to focus on streaming. Um, in the new world... Streaming is the favorite way to consume content. We've talked about it many times before on this show. Um, And Major League Soccer provides a reason for cable companies to continue to continue to to show live sports. I mean, live sports year in, year out are the most watched program on cable television. And MLS can become a part of that. And, And maybe in the future, I know a lot of sports are going to streaming as well. But maybe sports are the future of live television. It certainly would make sense. It's one of the only things that can get me personally to tune in to a live television broadcast. With that being said, I think media partners will need the MLS more in the future than they do now and perhaps more than they realize. Um, Of course, it's like any business or any brand. If they keep the fundamentals strong, keep doing things that are exciting, it does sound simple, but if they stay the course and promote their players, the MLS will be extremely, extremely successful moving forward. Um, now, a last little preview of our final segment today. Our final segment today now is going to discuss who really has to pay for new NFL stadiums and exactly how profitable are these new stadiums to local economies you may be being slightly misled. Um, We're also going to discuss how winning a sports championship may not boost your city's economy as much as you might think. Um, Both common misconceptions in the sports world. um, And and really it's going to point to how 
In many cases, sports are great for an economy. I'm always touting how they're a huge part of our economy and a huge money earner for fans, businesses alike. Um, but people are being misled in some ways as to the amount of money that they can generate uh, in certain areas. So we'll be right back with that after our last short break. Our last short break, I want to invite everybody to a special edition of David's Pick that'll be at 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, Victor Armanderas is will be calling in, and we'll be discussing uh, the United States and the implications and, you know, possibilities with the president having coronavirus. And... Um, from our medical folks who we've talked to today, uh, everybody is very positive that uh, the president will do fine and uh, will never really potentially miss a minute. But we're going to talk about it a little bit, and you're invited to uh, tune in at 10 o'clock for a special edition of David's Pick. And um, as I've been listening to uh, Billion Dollar Ballers, I, I just want to thank Jack for the great job that he does and the information that he provides. And uh, we pray, too, that the, the players in the NFL will be protected and the ones that have coronavirus will have a fast and speedy recovery and full recovery. And... Uh, you know, our nation is going through a lot, but we'll make it. So with that, we'll be back right after this. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Billion Dollar Ballers. Welcome back to our final segment, and welcome back to something that might be eye-opening for you, and that is our discussion of who really has to pay for new NFL stadiums. Uh, there are obviously few modern structures as grand and awe-inspiring as a professional football stadium. Only skyscrapers come close, really, and there, there are also few buildings that are as expensive as an NFL stadium. So let's take a look at uh, 
the NFL stadium, how it's built, and who actually pays for it. Now, obviously, you have excitement for an NFL stadium. All you have to do is look at the Las Vegas Raiders' new stadium um, to see that. And stadiums serve a unique role for communities fortunate enough to have one. Uh, They provide a source of economic enrichment for the surrounding areas, as well as one-of-a-kind entertainment experiences. Um, They also serve as monumental local pride, uh, rising prominently against the surrounding skyline. If we've learned anything about NFL fans, it's that they're loyal to the point of being rabid. Uh, Again, take me and my absolutely terrible Detroit Lions as an example. Cities love their teams in their respective arenas, serve as a focal point um, for legions of fans clamoring for a sense of pride um, to all congregate and celebrate their team. Um, a new football stadium can also increase a city's reputation and the property value for people who live there. Uh, if your city doesn't have a stadium, the promise of new state-of-the-art facilities can be a bargaining chip necessary to attract a top-tier franchise. Um, bringing prestige and economic surge along with it. But the stadiums are not cheap to build. Building a new facility involves some of the most significant expenditure that you can have in any building construction. Um, Now, what are these costs? Well, according to Watchdog Real Estate Project Management, the price of new stadiums and the renovation of existing ones has steadily increased to astronomical proportions over the last decade. The most expensive stadium is MetLife Stadium, which costs just over $1.6 billion to build. Uh, It's closely followed by the home of the Dallas Cowboys AT&T Stadium, which costs $1.3 billion to construct. Um, So who is really paying for these NFL stadiums? Well, according to Vox.com, stadium construction projects have used more than $7 billion in public funds over the last two decades. And whose shoulders is that burden on? It's on your shoulders, the taxpayer. Take San Diego for an example. Back in 2011, when the team first started discussing the move that ended up taking them to Los Angeles, their spokesman, Mark Fabiani, Throughout the figure, 65% of the cost of a new NFL stadium came from public funding. The remaining balance is paid for by private funds and bonds. Now, this isn't only the case. Some stadiums, like MetLife, are 100% funded by private money. But that stadium also had the advantage of two franchises in the Jets and the Giants, both paying for its construction. The Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans is on the opposite side of the spectrum. It was 100% financed by the taxpayer. The reality is a mix of public and private funds. Uh, And the problem isn't just the initial cost, however. Stadiums require upkeep. That falls on the taxpayer as well. So when you think about all of this, you might not realize a lot of what your local taxes are going to. But if you have a big stadium in your city, I can promise you that the upkeep and the building of that stadium robbed your city of valuable funding that could be better used to bolster failing infrastructure. I'm obviously a massive supporter of our amazing American sports leagues, but when it comes to the construction of brand new stadiums, it can be a burden. Now, many taxpayers, myself alike, would say they're willing to pay for this. 
But I just believe it should be a little more transparent when you go to pay that tax bill that part of it's going to build this stadium. Um, one of the most beautiful things about America is that we have the choice to pick and choose what we support and what we don't support. But when it comes to your taxes, you don't get that choice. Um, something that is interesting that definitely doesn't get much coverage. Um, I hope you love your stadium. I hope your stadium is an amazing place that you're willing to pay for um, and you're happy that you're paying for it. But uh, make no mistake, if you if you didn't weren't aware that you're paying for your local sports stadiums, you're most likely paying for it in the form of taxes. That being said, you are getting money out on the back end in your local economies. Uh, every time there's a home game, surrounding businesses do better. Um, and if you have a great team and and um, to the point that you get a lot of tourism or your stadium's hosting major events outside of uh, whatever sport it was built for, then you're certainly seeing the payout on the back end. So I don't want you to just think that uh, I'm advocating that stadium taxpayer money going to stadiums is a bad thing. I actually believe on the back end you end up making more money uh, as a result. The economy thrives, and, and it's a huge benefit to your city. I just wanted to make everyone aware of, of the fact that you are paying for it out of your taxes. Um, so, interesting topic. Doesn't get the coverage it deserves, but that's, uh, that's where it is. Now, moving on to our final point of discussion, I'm going to talk about how winning a sports championship probably doesn't boost a city's economy as much as you might think. And now, that's in relation to how much your sports economy is already boosted just by having a sports team. Uh, far too often, a wealthy sports team owner grifts the city out of taxpayers' money for a new stadium that they could pay for themselves. Um, they do so by claiming that success, especially a championship, will bring a lot of money to a city and boost its economy. Um, but recent research shows this isn't true. It turns out title money rarely trickles down into the local economy in many meaningful ways. Now, while the city is earning large amounts of money on a regular basis, uh, that usually comes uh, if the team is successful or not. Um, there's nothing like the joy of celebrating a title, obviously. It's a dream that every franchise chases. It, uh, fans of every team would convince themselves that this was their year, um, except for myself and the Detroit Lions fans, of course. We know it's not our year. But... Uh, no one ever has to justify basking in the glow of winning a championship in any sport. Um, but if anyone ever says that finishing a champion will bring more money to the victor city as opposed to the last place team city, um, know that they're either incorrect or lying their way to tax exemption. Um, it's repeatedly said that titles or other big sporting events have a large impact on the economies of host cities, uh, but that has oftentimes been proved to be false. In this case, uh, the economic impact of postseason play in professional sports, which is a 2002 study by economists Dennis Coates and Brad R. Humphreys, examined the economic effects of teams that won playoff games in cities from 1969 to 1997. Their findings stated that postseason wins are not associated with any change in the level of real capita per income. Um, so essentially what this means is 
win or lose, your economy is going to have benefit. Don't get that wrong. But you're not going to get more out of winning. A lot of money gets spent during a playoff run. Uh, but the earnings don't stretch as far as you might think. For example, the total economic impact of the two Royals home games was $12 million during the 2014 World Series, which equated to one one-thousandth of a percent of the city's gross domestic product. And that's while assuming the estimates of that impact are accurate. A Super Bowl's winning city may see an increase in per capita personal income of a whopping $140 million. Now, that's a ton of money. Um, but that's not that much more than a Super Bowl losing city. So, say, for example, um, I'm just going to pick, well, why don't we go with a, a classic? Why don't we go with the Patriots and the Falcons? Everyone remembers that incredible Super Bowl. Not to bring up a so- sore subject for those Atlanta fans, but... Uh, Patriots had an epic comeback, an incredible, incredible win, or you can call it a collapse by the Falcons, as they've been prone to do lately. Um, sometimes it seems like they go in the locker room at halftime and they say to themselves, uh, how can we lose this game? But that's a topic for another show. Um, but when the Patriots won that Super Bowl, their home economy in New England didn't see that much higher of a bump than the home economy in Atlanta. Um, The big city that will see the largest amount of return on a Super Bowl is the city that hosts the Super Bowl. Um, Obviously, between the tourism revenue and and a few other streams, that's how it works. But while it's certainly exciting um, to see a home team do so well, to see your team do so well, your team's championship success is not going to lead to that much larger of economic prosperity for your city. Uh, oftentimes, fans end up paying for championship parades, again, through taxpayer money. Um, and, and these parades often don't provide the benefit that people are often misled to believe. Um, so that concludes this segment as well. I'm happy we are able to talk about a couple topics that really don't get any discussion, in my opinion, a couple ways that sports fans can be misled, a couple ways that you're paying for a lot of things um, that you may not have known that you were paying for and promised more return than you're seeing. Um, So with that being said, it's been a great show today. Talked about a lot of interesting topics. Looking forward to doing Billion Dollar Ballers for a long time to come. Definitely excited to get after it again next week. And uh, I'd like to quickly close the show by saying once again, our prayers go out to President Donald Trump, First Lady Melania Trump, hoping for a speedy recovery. They've got the best doctors, the best care. And uh, hopefully by, uh, by the time we're doing the show next week, we have some good news to report on that front. Um, with that being said, I'm Jack Christides. This has been Billion Dollar Ballers, and we'll be back again next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.